Have you ever forgotten something important? Maybe it was uh, something tangible, uh, something you needed for a meeting or for a project you were completing. Maybe it was something intangible like a birthday or an anniversary. Maybe it was something like a child or a spouse. Um, I am paranoid about forgetting things. I can remember being in high school and playing baseball and being so afraid that I would forget something that I needed for a game that I would pack and unpack and pack and repack my baseball bag before every game because I was worried that I would get there and I wouldn't have my cleats or my glove or something that I needed to play. And I wish that this was just all in my head, but it's something that has carried over into my life now. And even just last summer, uh, my family and I were returning from vacation in Florida, and we landed in Indiana, and we got uh, to the carousel where the luggage was coming out, and everybody got their bags except for mine. And so I started to think, okay, well, maybe it got lost, maybe it got misplaced. And then after a couple minutes, I realized that, no, I left it in Florida, It wasn't the airport's fault, it was my fault. Everything, all my clothes, the souvenirs that I had bought, my toiletries, you know, the stuff that you need pretty much every day. It was just all left there. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Hopefully it's not happened to you. Hopefully it never will. Uh, My name is Andrew Philbeck. I'm the home group's pastor, and I'm excited to get the opportunity to be here with you this morning as we continue our There's Hope for You series. Last weekend, we took a break for Father's Day. Matt Pineda gave us a great message, but today we're going to get back into that series. And hope is the thing that I really want you to keep at the forefront of your mind because hope is the most important thing that we're going to have that guides our time together. A couple of weeks ago, we began this series by looking at 2 Chronicles chapter 14, and we talked about a man named Asa, and we talked about this prayer that he had before God. And this message highlighted the truth that there is hope for you when you need help. And it was a great message for a lot of reasons, but one of the most obvious ones, at least I think, is that it was so relatable because we all know what it's like to need help. Well, this morning, as you see from your handout, what we're going to be talking about is the fact that there is hope for you when you feel forgotten. And while it can be a terrible feeling, it can be an embarrassing feeling when you forget something, whether it's something big or it's something small, uh, I don't think that really compares to how it feels when we think that we have been forgotten. And this Feeling the, the emotional aspect of, of all of this is something that we're really going to try and address in our time together because it's that feeling of being forgotten that is so powerful and it can do so much damage in our lives, even if we, even if we know that we're not actually forgotten about. And we're going to do this, we're going to talk about this by looking at one chapter from the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel this morning and just be ready. Now, 1 Samuel is a great book for a lot of reasons. One of the big reasons is that it covers uh, so many of the familiar stories that revolve around King David. 1 Samuel is where you turn if you want to read about David and Goliath. 1 Samuel shows us the great friendship that 
David had with Jonathan. First Samuel shows us how God protected David when King Saul turned against him and pursued him and tried to kill him. But before we get to David, when we look at 1 Samuel, we actually see the life and the ministry of a man named Samuel. And Samuel was a prophet and a judge. He anointed both Saul and David as king over Israel. And he's one of the few men that we read about in Scripture that has nothing negative written about him. And of course, that doesn't mean he was perfect or anything like that, but it does mean that his life was not marred by some kind of great failing, some kind of terrible misstep. You know, I talked about David for a moment, and David was a great man, and we love King David, but we know that his life was marred in a way because of his relationship with Bathsheba. It's a dark cloud over him. Samuel doesn't have anything like that. He was a faithful man of God from the time he was born to the time of his death. And it's the circumstances of his birth that we're going to focus on this morning because as great as King David is and as great as the prophet Samuel is, the person that we're going to talk about is a woman named Hannah. Now, if you're familiar with this book, you probably recognize the name Hannah, either because you know that she was Samuel's mother or because you remember a story where she's praying to God and the high priest accuses her of being drunk. And the reason people remember that is because it kind of sticks out as something that you don't really expect to see happen in the Bible. But we're going to look at her life and we're going to see how she is a picture of faithfulness and how she reminds us that even though there are times when we feel forgotten, we can always move forward and we can always have hope. 1 Samuel chapter 1. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. You can follow along as I read aloud. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? This is what we see in 1 Samuel 1. It says, There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zuphite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. Thank you. You may be seated, and may God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. So here's what's going on. This is what 
is going on in Hannah's life. Because she is mentioned first in our passage, what I believe that tells us and what a lot of what I read, you know, they believe it too. It means that she was Elkanah's first wife. And so when she was a young woman, she married this man and he loved her. But because she could not have children, there was a, uh, a divide in their marriage. Now, of course, women can do many more things than just have children. And this is not a modern idea by any stretch of the word. This is something that we see in the Bible where God uses women in mighty ways and in ways that don't specifically include having children. But for Hannah, this was heartbreaking. And I think this was heartbreaking for her personally for a couple of reasons. One, I think it was heartbreaking simply because she desired to have children of her own. I think that was the desire of her heart. But also because I think it was her inability to have children that led to her husband taking a second wife. And I don't know why he did this to her. Maybe he caved to the cultural pressure at that time to have children. Obviously, the culture that we live in today is far different from the culture that they lived in back then. Maybe his own personal desire for heirs just outweighed his love for Hannah. Maybe he was afraid that he was the reason, that he was the one who couldn't have children. And so this was a way for him to boost his ego. At the end of the day, we don't know. But it happened and it was devastating for Hannah. And we can guess that she felt responsible for the predicament that she was in. If she could have only had children, he wouldn't have married this other woman. None of this would have happened. And on top of maybe her own personal guilt, we see that this other woman, the other wife, she had no sympathy for Hannah and even went so far as to actively torment her because of her inability to have children. And while the Bible does make it clear that Elkanah loved Hannah, we see that in verse 5, we also see that he wasn't the most comforting husband. Maybe that's the nicest way to say it. In verse 8, he says, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you so downhearted? I feel like he's a little thick-headed because he, he, it's kind of like, you know, Hannah, I know that I married this other woman. I know that I keep having children with this other woman, but why does that bother you so much? Why can't you just get over it? Why can't we just move on with our lives? And he says, don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? I feel like Hannah could have stood up right there and said, how much do I mean to you? But she doesn't. She doesn't take her anger out on her husband. She doesn't take her bitterness out on her husband. Instead, she takes everything to God. Because in spite of this dysfunction, in spite of this sin and the, the difficulty of her life, we see that Elkanah and Hannah made frequent trips to Shiloh. Now, Shiloh was a place north of Jerusalem, and it held both the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. It was a holy place. A man named Eli was the high priest in Shiloh, and we'll talk more about him in a bit. But Hannah is in this holy place, and she prays. And I want to look again at what we see in verses 10 and 11 from our text, because this is what she says. It says, In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. 
And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you, would on, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Now we're going to talk about what happens next in Hannah's story later, but this is where I want to stop for now. And the reason that I want to stop here is because what we see in these two verses is the reason that we're looking at Hannah's story when we're talking about the fact that we have hope even when we feel forgotten. Because Hannah felt forgotten. She makes that clear when she says these words, remember me. And then she basically says, don't forget about me. She felt forgotten. And to me, what that means is that she felt all alone. And isn't that what hurts the most? Feeling alone, feeling dismissed, feeling ignored. And for Hannah, it had to be. It had to be such a burden, such a weight on her heart. And like I said, you know, this is just a guess on my part, but I don't think that it's a far-fetched one. This had to be such a burden because she felt like it was all her own fault. She couldn't have children, so her husband marries another woman and begins to create a life with this other woman because she does have children and she does have sons and daughters. And you know, where is Hannah in all of this? What do you think it does to her to see them, to see this life that she had always wanted with her husband, but it's being lived out with another woman and it's all being done right under her nose? What do you think that does to Hannah? What would it do to you? Forgotten and dismissed by her husband. And what is worse, we know that she feels forgotten and dismissed by God. That's why as she prays, she asks God to remember her and to not forget her. Have you ever felt like God has forgotten you? Have you ever felt all alone in a struggle or a situation I have. I'm not trying to be overly dramatic this morning when I say that because my guess is that I am not alone in having felt that way. I've prayed for God's help. I've prayed for God's healing, for God's guidance, for God's contentment for days on end, sometimes multiple times a day, and I have still felt forgotten because God didn't give me what I asked for, and sometimes it felt like he didn't even acknowledge what was going on in my life. One of the things I started doing Years ago, and I can't remember when I started doing this, but I started writing letters to God. And all I mean when I say that is I started writing out my prayers. And so I would uh, buy these journals and I would fill them with page after page of prayers to God. And I would do this because there were long stretches of time when I felt like I never received anything in return. And if I wrote down my prayer, there was some kind of tangible proof, some tangible evidence that I had prayed that I could look back on and I could remember what I had cried out to God. And again, even if you've never written out your prayers, even if that's not something you do, I have a feeling that I'm not alone in that experience. And one of the things that made this and makes this difficult in my life at times, it's probably the same thing that made it difficult for Hannah as well, and it's probably something that makes it difficult for you if you've ever experienced something like that. And it's the fact that I know God is there. 
We know God is there. When I pray, I don't doubt for a second that God is alive and active. I don't think that Hannah did either. But at the same time, that's what makes it so difficult, isn't it? Because we know God is there. We believe God can hear us. We believe God can help us. And when he doesn't or when we don't think that he does, it leaves us feeling forgotten and alone and ignored. And so the question that we have to try and answer this morning is what do we do? What do we do when we feel forgotten? How can we have hope? And I'll be honest with you this morning, I really struggled with with what to say here. And it's not because uh, I don't believe that there's an answer, and it's not because I didn't have an answer, but because it was hard for me to try and think of a a good way to answer this that didn't uh, come off seeming kind of uh, glib or shallow. Because, you know, here's the deal. You could come up to me after the service today and you could say, you know what, Andrew, I, I do. I just feel like God has forgotten me. And I could, I could reach out and I could put my hand on your shoulder and I could say, well, just remember what Hebrews 13 verse 5 says. God says, never will I forsake you. Never will I leave you. And pat you on the shoulder and walk away. Well, I'm not wrong, am I? I hope you believe those words as much as I do. But honestly, how is that going to make you feel? You're going to sigh, run home, get on all of your social media accounts and share this great experience that you had with your pastor at church today because it was just so life-changing. Listen, I don't want to discount and I'm not trying to take away any of the power that we see in God's word. But if I'm honest, I would guess, no, you're probably not going to do that. So what I want to do for the rest of our time together is to try and give us all some, some application points, some, some steps that we can take for how we can hold on to hope even when we feel forgotten. And listen, even though I believe in these things that we're going to talk about, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. There's no magic wand. There's no special incantation we can chant a few times in the right place that makes everything just go away and makes us feel better magically. But there is value in this and there is something we can do. So, when you feel forgotten, three things that you should do. Number one, we should pray. When we feel forgotten, we should pray. Now, if you were here two weeks ago when we started this There's Hope for You series, you're probably thinking to yourself, I've heard this one before. Well, I have too. And it's not a mistake because I believe this is the first thing that we should do. And honestly, if I were preaching all of these messages, there is a 100% chance that I would talk about prayer in every single one. Remember, we're looking at Hannah's story as an example And we just looked at specifically verses 10 and 11 in our text. And what do we see her do? We see her pray. We see her cry out to God. And while there are a lot of things that we can talk about when it comes to the value of prayer and the importance of prayer, one of the things that I see when I look at and when I think about Hannah's words is the fact that we must be real with God. We must be real with God. This is what she says. If you will only look upon your servant's misery. 
And I don't know about you, but to me, that's pretty descriptive. And listen, maybe you're here this morning and you think, well, of course you need to be real with God. This is obvious. This is a no-brainer. Why are you even taking time to talk about this? Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever gotten sick? Have you ever gone through something, had some kind of pain? And so you make an appointment and you go to the doctor and you're there, but then the moment the doctor comes in, you don't want to talk about it anymore. For some reason, even though this is going on in your life, and even though you know you don't know what's going on in your life, you just kind of clam up, and, and, and you don't want to talk about all of your symptoms, and you don't want to talk about how you feel. Maybe because it's embarrassing. Maybe because you're afraid that you'll look foolish. Maybe because the doctor, or you're afraid that the doctor will kind of give you some weird look or just kind of blow you off. We can't do this with God. We can't do this with God. And I'll give you two reasons why. And they're obvious, but I'm going to give them to you anyway. Number one, it's not an honest way to pray. If we don't talk to God, if we don't tell God everything going on in our lives, then it's not an honest way to pray. The second reason that we can't do this is because God knows what you're thinking anyway. God knows. He knows what you're going through. So why would you pretend like you could hide it from him? Or why would you pretend like you could keep it from him? Hannah doesn't make the journey to Shiloh, kneel down in prayer and then say, you know, God, it's been a little difficult lately. I don't know if you know that or not. I just wanted to share that with you. She goes there and she says, I am miserable and it feels like you have forgotten me. She was real with God. She doesn't sugarcoat anything. And I think that's what God wants from us. I think that's what God wants from us. And listen, I believe that when we pray, we need to have a proper respect and we need to have a proper understanding of what's going on and how incredible it is that we have this opportunity to talk to the living God. A couple of weeks ago, when we looked at Asa's prayer in 2 Chronicles, uh, we talked about the fact that when he began his prayer, he started by praising God. But he doesn't do this so that he can, you know, butter God up in some way or make him more receptive to what he wants. He does it for his own benefit, to remind him of who God is and who he is apart from God. And we should do that too. But that doesn't mean that we can't be real with God. And to me, when I say that we need to be real with God, in my mind at least, I picture it as it being more than just honest with him. You know, because Hannah could have come to God and she could have said, you know, things are rough right now or things are bad right now. And that would have been honest. Absolutely that would have been honest. But she did more than that. She was real. She was expressive. She was descriptive. And we need to do the same in our prayers. Sometimes I wonder if God isn't as real in our lives as we wish he was because we aren't as real with him as he wishes we were. He knows the reality of our life. He knows what we're going through. And sometimes I think that he wonders, why don't you just talk to me about it? Why won't you just tell me what I know you're feeling? And I don't know. I say that I wonder. I don't know this with absolute certainty, but I wonder if God isn't as real in our lives as, he wishes, as we wish he was because we aren't as real with him as he wishes we were. 
That's the first thing that we should do. When we feel forgotten, we should pray. Now, before we move on to the second thing, I'm going to go ahead and, and kind of warn you. I don't know if that's the best word, but basically just say that the second one is probably the most difficult. At least I think it's the most difficult in my life. Number two, when we feel forgotten, we should be persistent. We should be persistent. And there's a chance that you don't want to hear me say that this morning. And to be honest, there's a part of me that wish, wishes that I didn't have to say that this morning. Because there are a lot of times in my life when not only do I want God to act in the way that I think is best, but I also want God to act in my time frame, which usually means right now. Anyone else know what that's like? I bet you do. But we must be persistent, and that means that we must also be patient. Sometimes I think it's easy for us to miss uh, some of the weight of Hannah's misery in her story. And I say that just because her story is, is really condensed into just one chapter. But we have to know that she felt miserable for years. I mean, when we read through the first 11 verses, we see in verse 7 these words, year after year. And that is in reference to her life. That's in reference to the torment that she experienced from this other woman that her husband was married to. The bitterness at not having her own children. I mean, we see from Scripture that this uh, Peninnah, the second wife, the other woman, that she had sons, plural, and daughters, plural. Well, we realize that just because of the nature of things, that has to take a lot of time. I don't think that the feelings of, of misery and being forgotten that Hannah had, I don't think that they were recent, which is to say that I don't think that she just started to feel this way on this one trip to Shiloh that we read about in 1 Samuel chapter 1. I think that she had felt this way for a long, long time. And even though I realize that we don't see it written out specifically for us in Scripture, I believe that she was persistent in her prayers to God and her hope that one day all of this would end. And the reason that I'm talking about being persistent when it comes to feeling forgotten, and I'm not just talking about being patient, is because when I think about being patient, I think about waiting for something to happen. But when I think about being persistent, I think about doing something. And we need to do something. When we feel forgotten, we need to do something. Hannah knew where her hope was found. And so even though she was miserable and even though she felt forgotten and alone, she prayed to God. As I was thinking about this reality in Hannah's life, I, I was reminded, and you might think this is kind of strange, but I was reminded of something that we see in John chapter 6. Something that goes with Jesus' story there. John chapter 6 is a great chapter in John's gospel because you see some wonderful things happen. This is where uh, John records Jesus feeding the 5,000. This is where you see Jesus walking on water. But something else that happens in John chapter 6 is Jesus says these words. He says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. And if you're familiar with Jesus' story, then you know what happens next is because of those words, a lot of the people that were following him, they leave. It's too hard for them to understand. They desert him. And then Jesus turns to the 12, to his closest friends, and he asks them, 
if they're going to leave too. Verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, I'm not trying to read anything into Scripture here or, or to try and make something mean, you know, something that it doesn't, but I believe that, that Peter highlights a truth here that we all need to understand, and I think that Hannah knew it all the years that she was dealing with the pain of her life. She understood that God was really the only place that she could go for help. God was really the only place that she could go for help. She felt miserable. She felt forgotten. But she kept going to Shiloh. And she kept worshiping. And she kept praying because she knew that despite her feelings, this was the best thing that she could do. And listen, this is hard. This is hard. Now, I'm not a patient man. Anyone that knows me even a little bit is not surprised by that statement. It's not something uh, that I'm proud of, and it can be difficult at times. It can be frustrating at times because, and I'm sure that you've experienced this too, because sometimes it feels like when I pray for patience, God doesn't so much, you know, give me patience as he puts me in situations that require patience. Does anyone else ever feel like that? And that can be extremely frustrating. And it makes me think, you know, well, what's going on? What's the bigger plan here? You know, is God up in heaven hearing my prayer and he's saying, you know, oh, you want patience? Well, I'll give you something to be patient about. That doesn't really mesh with this view, this picture that I have of God. But to be honest, that's how it feels. That's how it feels sometimes. But this is the reality of life. And we know that God is the one in control of all things, and he determines the timing of all things. James 1, verses 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. How long do you think it should take for perseverance to finish its work? Think back to, to times in your life when you have, when you know that you have experienced great change or great growth. How long did it take for that to happen? How long does it take for us to actually grow and change? Typically, it takes longer than we think it would and longer than we'd like for it to. Number three, when we feel forgotten we should trust God. When we feel forgotten, we should trust God. Now, here's the deal. I'm going to explain this one a little bit more because I realize that it can sound, you know, maybe not disingenuous, but it can sound a little weak. I realize that when we're dealing with frustrating and uncertain situations. And so what I want to do is actually go back into 1 Samuel, and I want to share what happens next. I want to talk about what happens next. Hannah is praying. She's pouring her heart out to God, and the high priest, a man named Eli, sees her, and he accuses her of being drunk in Shiloh. Now, this tells us a lot about Eli, 
Uh, Eli had two wicked sons who did just about everything wrong that you can think of as priests. And so when he sees Hannah in this uh, state of prayer where she's overcome with emotion, he assumes that she is a woman there with his sons. It's one of those things that would be comical if it wasn't so depressing. And it highlights the truth that Israel is at a spiritually low point at this time in her history. Mohanna explains to the priest that she's not drunk. In fact, she's praying. Verse 16 tells us that she says, I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And I love that because she's as real with Eli as she is with God. She doesn't apologize. She doesn't say, oh, sorry, let me explain what's going on. She says, I've been praying out of great anguish and grief. This is what we see in verses 17 and 18. Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. One of the things that I've heard my whole life is that it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And if that's something that you've ever heard, it means that you just said something the wrong way. (laughs) Well, here's what I mean when I say that we should trust God. I mean that we need to have an active and an expectant trust in God. I have seen people in difficult and confusing situations, and, and you know, they say they trust God, they claim to trust God, but the way they live their life doesn't really back up that statement. And this is something that we all have to guard against, that we all have to be careful of, because as Christians, it can be easy for us to be in situations that are confusing and to cry out in frustration and kind of throw our hands up in the air and say things like, well, of course I trust God. Of course I trust God. But when it comes to what we want or how we live, we don't back up that statement because we still think that we know what's best and we still want that ultimate control and we trust God because we want him to do what we want him to do. When we truly trust God, that trust is evident in the way that we live our lives. And this is something that we see all over Scripture. But honestly, I love the way that we see it in Hannah's life because it's so subtle. And I think it's one of the most difficult things for us to do. She said, it says, then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. So, so what did she do? What's so great about this statement? Where's the value in it for us? Well, she brought her whole burden to God, her desire for children, the misery that she felt, the isolation of her life, the fact that she felt forgotten by God. She brought all of it to the altar and then she left it there. She left it there. That's trust. That's trust. She brought her case to God and then she let him take care of it because she trusted that he would. Do you trust God enough to let him take care of whatever's going on in your life, even if you also feel forgotten by him? And I'm not trying to make anyone guilty, feel guilty this morning when I say that because I realize that this can be hard, especially if you're going through something like Hannah was going through. And, And what I mean when I say that is if you're dealing with something that's been going on for months or years, Do you trust God enough to be real with him? 
and to say, this is what's going on in my life and it feels like you've forgotten me and it feels like you've left me all alone, but I know that you're there and so despite that, I'm still going to pray, I'm still going to pour my heart out to you and I'm still going to trust that everything is in your hands. Not easy. It's not easy. Well, as far as Hannah's story goes, God blesses her with a son after all of this. And she was faithful with her promise. The boy Samuel was dedicated to God and served him faithfully all the days of his life. Brian, you can go ahead and come and get ready to uh, play as we're about to close. I know that one of the hardest things for me to deal with when it comes to this feeling of being forgotten is the fact that I know that God hasn't forgotten me. But because I know that, it makes me wonder why he has allowed me to go through what I have or why he has allowed things to go on as long as he has. And I have a feeling that I'm not alone in that. I don't think Hannah ever doubted for a second that God loved her. I don't think that she ever doubted that he was ultimately in control of her life. And that's why she was able to faithfully take all of her burden to him. And so if you're here this morning and you feel forgotten, I would just say these two simple things. Number one, I know what that's like. So you're not alone. And number two, you have not been forgotten. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is sending out the 12 on their own to preach. And at one point, this is what he tells them. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You know what he's telling them? He's telling them that God knows everything that's going on. Nothing happens without God's involvement and he will not forget you because you are worth so much more to him. And that truth is just as real for you and me this morning as it was for those 12 men back then. God knows everything that's going on. Nothing happens apart from him. And you are so valuable that God will never forget you.